You know, if one of you took that last spot, we wouldn't have that 30 seconds of dead time there, but that's okay. I'm not bitter about it at all. But uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, uh, find with me the 11th chapter of Matthew. And I just realized that I did not give anybody any verses up there. And so I'm sorry about that, Lane. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 19, just straight through. And um, uh, tonight we are continuing our study on the book of Matthew. Here are my notes for you, so sorry about that. And, um, and uh, tonight it is a, uh, it's really a changing of gear in the book of Matthew. Uh, up until this point, it's been about Jesus being the son of David. It's been about the miracles. It's been about the preparing the disciples. It's, it's really been an exciting a book about all that God is is doing, and I mean, you read about the the blind receiving their sight, and the uh, those who are demon possessed being healed. But we really start to see here in this text and where we're moving forward this um, persecution or resistance to Jesus. It's all been uh, backbiting and kind of whispers, but between here and the end of the book. It is very much front and center. And where we find ourselves in chapter 11, verse 1, um, is John the Baptist. And if you're familiar with John the Baptist and, and uh, all that has gone on in his life so much, uh, he finds himself, and uh, uh, here we're going to read later on that we know that he is put in prison, uh, that he is beheaded uh, for just preaching the truth and calling sin sin. And Jesus, in this passage of Scripture tonight, begins to talk about John the Baptist and, and the kingdom of God. And, and tonight I really want you to think about this one uh, theme throughout um, the text tonight is, is this idea of, do I really trust Jesus no matter the cost? Do I really trust Jesus no matter the cost? And uh, you know, we teach our youth that you're probably going to be made fun of for your beliefs. And we teach our adults that you're probably going to be snickered at at work if you live out your Christian faith. But what we see here in the book of Matthew and the end of Jesus's life is real persecution. Uh, taking of someone's life persecution. And I ask you that question tonight because I pray that it never comes in my children's lifetime. I pray that the Lord comes back. And if the Lord doesn't come back, I pray that he would send a, a widespread renewal and revival. But if he does not, persecution is coming. And I ask that question tonight because would you really stay faithful no matter the cost? And so if you would pray with me, and we're going to jump in in this chapter. Father, tonight I thank you for the wonderful privilege of worshiping with your people tonight, Lord. And just, I always thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to open up your word and to just truly just work through it together. Lord, as your word convicts us, it changes us, it works in our hearts. So Lord, tonight I pray that your spirit would continue to work in the lives of people. We thank you for what you've done today. We pray, Lord, that you would save, that you would just do amazing things for your glory. Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Tonight I want to start with this simple question. Is it ever okay to ask why? Or is it ever okay to question something that you believe? And starting here in verse 1 of chapter 11, I want to just read this with you. Now it came to pass when Jesus finishing commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You say, well, why would John the Baptist ask that question? There are some Bible scholars that do not believe that John had a moment of doubt here. There are some Bible scholars who believe that he was just asking a general question. And there are other Bible scholars who believe that this is a time of doubt in the life of John. John is doubting whether he has really done what God has asked him to do. And uh, I believe that uh, it's, it's, it's not good to speculate, but I, I really do think that in this text, John finds himself in prison. John was, as Jesus says, the greatest woman, uh, greatest man born of a woman, but I still believe that John sinned and that John struggled. And so I don't think it is unfair to say that as he finds himself in prison and he is believing that Jesus is this Messiah who is going to set Israel free. If you remember, that's what the disciples thought. They were fighting even up before his death about who is going to sit on his right hand and who is going to sit on the left, who, how, how that was all going to work. And so I, I don't want to say that it's one way or the other, but I believe it is very plausible here that John is asking this question of, is everything I have put my life into, everything that I have believed, everything that I have trusted in, was it worth it? Was it real and what I have put my faith in. And I ask you that question tonight because I believe all of us as Christians have had that same feeling, that same discussion. It usually doesn't happen in the good times of our life, right? In the blessings of God, we, we know that He loves us. We know that He cares for us. We know that, man, something is bugging me to death. I think I had a collar out, didn't I? Messing with one of my double chins there. But anyway... Um, but I think in the lowest points of our life, when we lose a loved one, when we are financially difficult, when things seem to be falling around us that are just collapsing, I think it is easy to sometimes ask the question of why. Why does this happen to me? I, I go to church. I try to read my Bible. I try to pray. I, I try to love my enemy. I even try to forgive people sometimes. Right? I, I am trying to do what God has asked of me. And it seems like everything that I have believed in and trusted in is failing me. And so tonight as we look at this, and I just really want to look here in verses 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or we, do we look for another? 
So he says, are you truly the Messiah that I've been telling them about? Are you truly the Messiah of the Old Testament? Or shall we be looking for another? And so I don't believe that his, his question was out of desperation. I believe his question was out of anticipation. You see, John recognized that prison's probably as good as it's going to get for me. My hope is not in this world. But if Jesus is who he said he is, then I have hope. And friends, as a Christian, we don't live in a state of desperation. We live in a state of anticipation. As a Christian, I know that if I fall off this stage tonight and, and break my neck and die, I hate that for you and for witnessing that and all that looks like, but I know where I'm going. There's not a doubt in my mind that absent from the body is... It's an anticipation. I know that the Bible says that the righteous, that God will take care of them. I know that that doesn't mean that I will have everything that I want, but I really do believe that if I will do what God has asked me to do, and I will work and, and try, that God will provide my needs. It's an anticipation. It's an anticipation knowing that God is faithful. And friends, tonight, whether you believe John asked this question out of desperation or anticipation, it is something that affects all of us. It, it, we all go through seasons of desperation and anticipation. It's kind of like if you're expecting your first grandkid, right? You're thinking, man, I had to raise these heathens. It's about time I got something from them, right? You anticipate it. You're like, oh, this is going to be great. Oh, this is going to be wonderful. And you're so excited for it and you're anticipating it. But once you get that first grandkid, right, it's even better than what you anticipated for. I see all you old people nodding your heads. I know. You're thinking if I could have had grandkids first, that's what I'd have done. It's that anticipation. And so I believe that John was, was looking for that. This is really as good. These things are happening. And I believe that is the case because the response that Jesus gives. Jesus doesn't just say, well, just, just wait and you'll see. He, he doesn't scold him, how could you believe this or waver in this? He says the proof is in the pudding. He says the evidence is there. And listen to how he describes it, right? Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He says all the things that the Old Testament said would happen when I come are happening. And friends, as a Christian, you need to learn to live in a mindset of anticipation and not desperation. I know things are bad. I know things are difficult. I know things are hard. But I'm not discouraged because it's not going to get better. I am living in anticipation because whatever God is allowing me to go through, whatever God is allowing to come around me, whatever trial and tribulation I'm going through, I know that God has something for me. I know that God has a purpose and a plan. I know that God is working and moving. And I have to live anticipating that what God is going to do is greater than what I'm going through. And that, was real, that, that could be on a t-shirt. That's straight up. That what God has, I can't remember what I said now. You have to play that back later and tell me. Had a senior moment hanging out with old people. It rubs off. But anyway, um, not that any of you are old. But, uh, but think about that. That's not how we live, is it? 
It's not. Well, I got stuck going to Benton for 32 minutes on that stinking highway project. I wonder if I'm just late, I'm tired, I'm grouchy, and, and man, I just, I just can't believe it. You get to rule king and there's someone you haven't seen in years. Invite him to church. Talk about the Lord. See, we don't live in anticipation. We live in the moment of desperation. Lord, I don't understand why I've got this health diagnosis. I can't understand how anything good, good could come from cancer. I don't know how anything good can come from what I'm facing. I'm in desperate need. But yet what we need to be thinking is God has allowed this to happen into my life because there's an anticipation that God is going to use it for His glory. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't even say I'd do it well. But I believe that is how you have to live your Christian faith. That I am sharing my faith, anticipating that God is going to work. I am going to pray without ceasing because I believe the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm going to come to church on Sunday night, not because I'm desperate for something to do and because I have nothing better to do, but I come anticipating what God is going to do. You say, well, Jake, it's Sunday night. Nothing happens. There are people in the, uh, singing in the choir tonight that have been telling me no for weeks. That's a blessing. There, there, are, there are people here tonight that God is working and moving in their life and they're hungry and they're on fire and, and they're just waiting for what God's going to do next. See, some of you used to come to church with anticipation. Now you come to church with constipation. Nothing's going to happen. Now, I know that's probably not the best terminology, but it's true. You come to church thinking nothing's going to happen. And you ought to come to church. That's, that don't need to go on a shirt. <laughs> you need to come to church anticipating, I think God could save someone tonight. I think that baptism's still hot and full. I forgot, though, that I didn't bring a second set of clothes. So if you drove by today, my clothes were hanging on my van window trying to air out. Because I thought, by golly, I wanted to be dry tonight because someone gets baptized, I won't freeze to death. I believe that. I believe that God can save. God can work. God can move. And so it's time that you stop believing that everything's stopped up and that God can work. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that was not a good analogy, but it works. It's true. And so whether John was in desperate condition or whether John was <laughs> anticipating you have to believe that God can work. You have to believe that God can work. But it's okay to ask that question of anticipation. Second thing I want to show you tonight is, oh man. Whew. Oh man. Is there no air conditioner on in here tonight or is it just, just me? Second thing I want to show you tonight is that kingdom greatness and worldly greatness do not look the same. Kingdom greatness and worldly greatness do not look the same. Look what it says here in verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's house. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, 
there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, don't miss that, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, as these two men are going back to tell John what they have heard, Jesus turns back to the multitude and begins to explain. And he says this for this reason. Did you go out to hear a true man of God? Or did you go out to hear a charlatan? Did you go out there to hear someone who lied to you? Someone who was to take advantage of you? And he begins to talk about his attire and his position. Because I don't know if you know this or not. Usually, when someone is trying to swindle you in this sense, they go on television today and say, if you have a need, if you'll send $2,200 on your credit card, we will pray for you and God will heal you. They dress nice. They dress successful. They don't get up there in their homeless clothes and say, they, they, they give this idea of success. And he says, John the Baptist wasn't looking like he was very successful. He was living out there wearing unclo uncomfortable clothes and eating bugs. But yet you still went out there. If he was trying to take advantage of you, why would he have not been on the temple square like the chiefs and the priests and trying to gloat in themselves? He's asking them to think about this. Why did you go? Who did you see? And he tells them, you have seen not just a prophet, but the last Old Testament prophet. This is the one who is coming in the form of Elijah to set the pace for the Messiah. But did you hear what he said there in verse 15? I think it's one of the most significant verses in this chapter. In verse 14 and then into verse 15. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He doesn't say that he is Elijah either way. He says, if. Why is this? Well, we believe that the first coming of Jesus is not his only coming. We believe that there is going to come a day when he comes back, not as a suffering servant, but as a victorious king. And if you've ever read in the book of Revelation, there are going to be witnesses and, and, um, and, and it's going to be a wonderful time for us coming back with him. And he is going to come and he's going to destroy his enemies. He's going to, to uh, make them his footstool. And we believe this because why? The first time he came giving them a choice. The second time he has come and no one gets a choice. It will not be if you believe, if you reject it is truly, I am coming to destroy my enemies. There will not be a second chance. There won't be a do-over. You won't have grace extended. There will not be the long-suffering of God. It will be judgment is coming. And friends, tonight as we look at this text and we see what he is saying about this, I want you to see that even though John the Baptist was great, he said the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Tonight I want to challenge you. 
So many times we get in the mindset that unless I do something huge and everyone sees it, that I've not done something great for God. If I haven't got all these accolades for what I have done for God, then I can have pleased him. But yet what he says is those who are least, those who are the humblest, those who are the servant heart, those who are those who sacrifice and do for the kingdom of God, not for their own greatness, are greater than John the Baptist. And so tonight, it's a reminder of the same sermon that we heard this morning, that God does not view greatness as the way the world views. God does not evaluate things according to the world. You see, when the world looks at things, it's all about how much money did you raise? How many people did you have? How big of a building was it there? But yet God cares about how we love one another. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Peace and love and joy. Those things, that's what God is looking for in your life. And so today you might be saying, Jake, I, I, I don't have any influence at all. I, I don't go anywhere. All I do is I, I stay home and, and watch my grandkid as my uh, child or her husband goes to work. Then God has given you a great privilege to pour into that child the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You say, Jake, that's not important. That's not huge. It's not big. But yet it is being done to one of the least of these. How did Jesus finish up chapter 10, right? About loving the least of those. A cup of water. Look what it says in verse 42 of chapter 10. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose is reward. And so as you are evaluating, would you be faithful to the end? You have to ask yourself the question, do I anticipate what God is doing in my life? Or am I asking from a position of desperation? Second of all, do you really believe that as long as God is pleased with you, it doesn't matter what the world says. As long as you have been faithful to him, it's enough. Or are you pursuing the things of this world? And the third and final one is this. People will all make a choice to either reject or receive. Look what it says here in verse 16 until the end. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. You see, Jesus is telling them that they're forefathers, the, the people who have come before them were like spoiled little children. God gave them everything they needed and it was never enough. God took them into a land that they did not have to fight for and gave it to them. He gave them houses that they did not build. He gave them vineyards that they did not plant. And every time they would run from him and they would betray him and he would bring judgment, then he would what? Restore them. But yet it was never enough. 
And he says here, you're like little children out in the lobby. In this day and age, that's be in the lobby, right? Some kids playing the flute and the other kids wouldn't dance. It's like inviting, but they wouldn't come. It's this idea of a one-sided relationship that someone else has chosen not to respond to. And I say that because tonight I think it's very important. It was true to them, and it is true to you. Tonight, if you're here and you're listening to the words that I am speaking to you, God loves you. God has proven that He loved you by dying on the cross for you. And tonight, if you will repent of your sins, call upon the name of the Lord, make Him the Lord and Savior of your life, you will be saved. It's what the Bible teaches. It's not with the words of Jacob Gray. The Bible says, if you repent and call upon His name, you shall be saved. But friends, if you choose to say no to the Holy Spirit of God, one of these days, you will stand before God and you will hear these words. Depart from me. I never knew you. And I believe for, for all of eternity, you will think about this service or another service or another service where you were given the opportunity, like Jesus said, to respond. He doesn't say here in this text that they forced the children to dance. He doesn't say in this that they forced them to mourn. He says it like this. It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. The children here, I think it is, it's just very simple because I think the Bible says, and I think we see it right, that we, we come with childlike faith, just believing that God is who he said he is. We believe that the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he was buried and that he rose again. You, you cannot add to the gospel, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. He is the answer. He is the one. And I have to put my faith and trust in him. And he even goes on and says there that John would not eat certain things and drink certain things. And he says, I have done the exact opposite. And I want you to hear that last sentence in that verse tonight. But wisdom is justified by her children. There's a whole lot of people who think a whole lot of things that are a whole lot smarter than me. And so you can believe whatever you want here, okay? But I believe it comes back to the simple truth, the simple understanding that God's children are His and the evidence is there. It's what I believe, right? Wisdom is justified in her children. The Bible tells us that we are children of God. And that those who do not know him are of their father, the devil. And so as a Christian tonight, I want to read this because Jesus is talking about being friends of tax collectors and sinners. The people that the world said didn't matter. But they're the people that did what? Responded to Jesus. They're the people who believed in him as their Lord and Savior. 
And so wisdom is in the fruit. And tonight, I believe the Bible teaches us abundantly clear that when the Spirit of God lives in you, He will produce fruit. He will produce fruit that shows you of the evidence of your salvation. You say, Pastor, I am saved, but I have no joy, and I'm not going to have any joy. Really? So everybody that's ever got saved got the fruit of the Spirit of joy except for you. Every single one of them. Absolutely. See, you're, you're, you're saying, Pastor, I know it says to be long-suffering. It's fruit of the Spirit, but I don't have it. I'm quick-tempered and ain't nothing God can do about it. So everybody that ever got saved, the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering was given to them except for you. That's got to be the rawest deal I've ever heard about. No. The Bible also lists in Galatians 5 the fruit of the flesh, the sins of the flesh. And I think tonight you have to believe what you believe and you have to be willing to let God evaluate the fruit in your life. You have to allow the Spirit of God to be the fruit inspector for your life. Whether it's in private, whether it's how you treat your wife, that the Spirit of God will work and show you that you're His. And so tonight I want to challenge you are you willing to follow Him wherever He goes in the good times? You see, tonight the Spirit of God will show you, hey, as He does me, Jake, you've got to get your temper under control. You've got to. Jake, you have to make sure to keep every thought captive. J Jake, you have to keep your pie holes shut sometimes, right? Be slow to what James says. And to be swift to. Does nobody know what the book of James is? I can't hear. I got one here that doesn't work. You're going to have to speak up. Can somebody quote from James for me tonight? You have to speak louder is the problem. Slow to what? And swift to what? You know what? What I found out is that applies to everyone except the person that's angry. I don't have to be slow to speak. Let me tell you what I think. And in that moment, I think, oh, this is going to be go so good and so bad at the same time. It's going to be so bad spiritually, but I'm going to laugh about it for weeks. Because in those moments where we're not under control, what happens? Vomit of the mouth. But yet it's okay. Because so-and-so did this or this happened. And so tonight, I challenge you to let the Spirit of God be at work in your life in these times. Because friends, if we cannot be faithful in the times of peace and blessings, how do we think we'll be faithful in the times of trouble and persecution? And so tonight I want you to think about that. And I want you to bow your heads tonight with me. As Jamie and Janice come tonight, my prayer is that the Spirit of God has been speaking to you through conviction tonight. Not because of what I said, not because of some good analogy that I've given you, but tonight that you know that conviction is in your life. You say, Brother Jake, how do I know that it's conviction? If you're here tonight and you realize that you have sinned against God and that you need forgiveness, 
That's a God thing. It's not something I can make you have. It's not something your wife can make you have. It is conviction of the Spirit of God. And friends, you know it. And then I want you to know this, that God loves you. He sent the Spirit of God to convict you. And tonight He will save you from your sins. But you have to repent. You have to put your faith and trust in Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Experience the new birth. And tonight it can happen. You say, Jake, what if I'm too young? What if I'm too old? What if I'm too bad? What if I'm too good? What if I'm too rich? What if I'm too poor? Tonight it's just you and God. And tonight He will save you from your sins. And so here in just a moment, if you know that's going on in your life tonight, I'm going to be standing down front. You say, Jake, it's a sunny night. Everybody here is saved. I'm telling you, not everyone here is saved. But tonight you can leave here saved. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian. And you're saying, Jake, I'm really going through a desperate season in my life. We're going through a desperate season in our marriage. We're going through a desperate situation in our relationship. And I don't pray with anticipation. I pray out of desperation that it just can't get any better. Tonight I'm going to ask that you come. Find a spot here and say, Lord, help me to believe that you have a great purpose and plan for my life. You say, Jake, well, what if it's not necessarily desperation and it's not salvation? Maybe here tonight you're saying, God, I've just really been going through the motions. Or maybe tonight you're here and you're saying, Jake, I've got a prodigal in my life that I want to be saved. This altar is open tonight for you to do business with God. You see, Christian, I don't believe that you can lose the Holy Spirit, but the Bible teaches that you can quench what He is wanting to do in your life. As a church, we can quench what the Spirit of God is wanting to do tonight. And so maybe you just want to find a spot and say, Lord, search me tonight. Inspect the fruit in my life. And Lord, show me anything that is in my life that is quenching what you want to do. And it could be something totally different tonight. But know that this time of invitation is like God talking to them. Saying, we played the flute, but you wouldn't dance. We told you to mourn, but you wouldn't lament. The invitation has been given. What will your response be? Like I said, tonight I'm going to be standing right down here in front. I have my Bible with me tonight. If multitudes of you come, we'll find someone else to talk to you. Don't let that keep you from coming. But tonight, if you know that God is trying and is convicting you of sin and wants you to be saved, tonight's the night. You say, Pastor, I just, what will people think about me? What, what, I'm telling you, if someone has a problem with you getting saved, I will personally tell them to go somewhere else. Because if all of heaven rejoices over one sinner being saved, we're going to rejoice with you. You say, Pastor, what if I fail after I get saved? We all fail after we get saved. But salvation's a one-time thing that lasts forever. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you. Pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. 
Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.